The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 171 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. I could not be more excited about our guest. Uh, But before we get into that, a couple things. First of all, we want to thank a new reviewer. We have a new five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I'm not sure how they like to pronounce their username here. Carlot Asway or Carlo Tasway. (laughs) But whatever it is, thank you so much uh, for your kind words. The title is Recent Convert and Huge Fan. And it says, the podcast has uh, helped me spiritually and emotionally as a new convert to the church. Don't stop making this podcast. Love, 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 and thank you. Well, first of all, congratulations on your conversion to the church, and bless you and all of that. And we're so grateful that our awesome guests have been a blessing in your life. Thank you for leaving the kind review. We appreciate it. Uh, One other thing, we're doing something we've never done before, and it's something I've prayed about and thought about and pondered, and I think it's maybe time to do this. You know, the show, as we've talked about in the past, takes a lot of work and setting up guests and whatnot, and I would like to extend an invitation uh, to get some more people involved in the show. I've always been a one-man show as Latter-day Lives, and I think I could really use some help. So I'm looking for two people to help out with the show. One would be a show producer, and the show producer, this person would help facilitate guests, would help communicate with setting up the guests and answering questions and basically producing, just making sure that things come together and with the right schedule and everything else and whatever needs to be taken care of on that front. And uh, I would call that the producer role. So I'm looking for a show producer. If you're interested, I don't need someone who has a background in podcasts or anything else, just if you have the time to answer emails or phone calls or to reach out to potential guests and to work with me on that, boy, I would love to work with you if if you think that's a fit for you. Uh, I'm looking for somebody who hopefully could kind of make a commitment for at least, you know, maybe the next year. And uh, it's not a ton of time, but it is a real commitment. So if you're interested and you have questions about it, you can reach out to me. The other position is, you know, I am terrible at social media. And I think there are a lot of opportunities to share things that past guests have done, as well as announcing upcoming stuff. So I'm looking for someone who might be interested in being a social media manager for Latter-day Lives. If that sounds like you, if you love Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and everything else, and you're really savvy at it, and you enjoy the show and you want to be a part of it, uh, then then please, again, reach out to me. Uh, I'd love to have you on board on the team. So I'm looking for two people to fill those those two spots. Now, there is no pay whatsoever. As we've talked about on the show before, uh, I don't get paid. Nobody gets paid. We do this out of love. So this would also be, these positions would be uh, definitely positions that you would do out of, of love and and passion for for sharing the messages of all of our awesome guests. I would uh, obviously give you credit uh, on each of the shows that the show was produced by and our social media manager. 
So hopefully we can find somebody to uh, work with work with me on this, and it's a lot of fun. Plus, what a blessing to get to know all these incredible people. So if it sounds like something you might want to do in your spare time, please reach out to me at sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. If you know someone who's interested in podcasts and loves the gospel, they can reach out to me too. And, and don't feel like if you reach out, it, you have to be committed already. If you want to just reach out and ask some questions, by all means, please. Uh, that's about all we've got to take care of up front. Our guest on the show this week, Heidi Tucker, is back. Oh, how we love Heidi Tucker. We have had her on the show before, and I definitely recommend you go back to that episode and uh, listen to her whole story because it is incredible. But she has a new book out that I am so fascinated by, and I've started reading, and I absolutely love it. It's an amazing book, and I love Heidi. Who does not love Heidi? I think everyone who meets her just loves her. She has such a a just bright personality, and what a blessing it was. You know, it's, it's been years since she was last here, and to have her back in my home and to get to spend time with her and hearing about all the incredible work. Uh, she does. It's just amazing. I promise you, every time she writes a book, we are going to have her back on because I know that uh, our listeners just love Heidi like I do. Uh, And this week coming up in my Latter-day Life, I'll tell you about how this week I caught a wave and it made all the difference. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today, live in the Latter-day Live studios, it is my pleasure to have one of our earlier guests. We were just reminiscing about how many years it's been. It's been probably three years. Heidi Tucker, welcome back to the show. Thank you. So good to be back. I could not be more excited. This is why I wanted to do catching up episodes with guests like you. Absolutely. Here Uh, I am. We'll just go ahead and remind, can you give... Maybe a 30-second or one-minute recap of who you are and what people, and I'm going to make sure that I have the episode number to let people know to look for it, but, uh, but, but remind us who you are, Heidi. Yeah, I am Heidi Tucker. I am um, an inspirational author. I only write nonfiction. Is there anything better than a true story? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> so that's my jam is true stories that inspire us to pull ourselves up out of the mud and take another step forward. And as we discussed, you you were a reluctant writer. Yes. And now you crank out the books. I'm cranking. I'm you, cranking. You are it's, so awesome. I am I am a walking testimony that God knows our gifts even if we don't. And he had to tell me and smack me over the head and talk to me in a dream. And I was kicking and screaming and making really great arguments about why I was the wrong girl. (laughs) And I took a step into the dark unknown and I wrote that first book, Finding Hope in the Journey. And Mm. I haven't stopped since. So. And you are based out of Arizona. Yes. And Utah. Yep. You sort of split your time. I kind of split, mostly Arizona, mostly a sunshine girl. Yes, and so, you love hiking, and yeah. you can hear all about it on episode 66 with Heidi Tucker. We recorded this, or at least it was released October 29th, 2018. Oh my gosh. Such a different world then. I know. 
I know. <laughs> so I'm so Pre, grateful. Pre-COVID. Yeah. So grateful you're back at our home, and I cannot wait to hear. Uh, we have Heidi here not only to catch up, but also because Heidi has a new book, and we are going to talk all about that. Uh, but let's catch up on a couple of other things in, in your life. Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier before we recorded that uh, you've had a pretty amazing calling the last several years, and you have a pretty amazing calling now. Mm-hmm. Tell us what you've been doing for the past few years. Um, in the in the church, for my callings, yeah, it's been, I, I taught early morning seminary years ago, years ago. That's the hardest, yeah. greatest calling of my life. Early really. morning seminary is tough. Brutal. Yeah. Started teaching at 6 a.m. every Ooh. day, right? F- alarm goes off at 4.30 every morning. Mm. So... It, that was amazing, um, and I did it four years because I wanted what I gained with the first year. I boy, I wanted that with every one of. I didn't. I wanted all the standard works. So sure. four years, and then I I went from that, and they said, "Wow, she's she's got a thing with the youth." And so they put me in Stake Young Women's, and I I was the Stake Young Women's president for years. That is, and awesome. now I'm at the second greatest calling ever, <laughs> which is primary pianist. Right, I love that so much. It's so cool. You just play "I Am a Child of God" and those kids sing that to you, mm. and you just sit and soak it up. If you awesome. could be the accompaniment to children singing, oh, how yeah. does it get better? I mean, yeah. that's amazing. I go home feeling really good every Sunday. That is just yeah. awesome. So, all right. So we uh, a few changes since October of 2018. There's a few. We we hit a pandemic. How did you guys do through the pandemic? I finished this book. Okay. Started a YouTube channel. Got comfortable with virtual. Yeah. Cuz you're a speaker, we should also say that. I mean, you're you're most known as an author, but you do a ton of I speaking. I do a ton of speaking. You are an awesome speaker. Yeah, and I love that connection. I love face to face, and mm. so virtual was tough. Still is a little bit, but it's uh, significantly better after practice. Yeah. <laughs> I've done some, you know, I've done some firesides and things from for New York City and for California and for, you know, all over the place. It doesn't matter now. Yeah. I don't have to travel to all of these events. I did so. a stake youth conference for for a, a stake in California. And, you know, this was probably a month and a half ago. It was kind of teeter-tottering on should we be in person or not. Uh-huh. Um, in the end, they ended up getting together in person, but it was too late for me to come out. So I did it on Zoom. Do you kind of feel like... You just have to do it. You have to keep going because I always like the feedback. And they were all in this massive stake center. I wasn't yeah. getting anything from them. And I kept hoping, like, is the mic <laughs> on? Are they responding? You have to imagine when you crack a little joke <laughs> that there is a glimmer of a chuckle out there, right? And you just pretend that you heard it and you kind of move on, right? It's it's an, an awkward, that's awkward. My background as a comedian, it kills yeah, me. Yeah, that kills you. Because, you know, I throw in so many jokes, and I'm halfway through, like, is this thing on? <laughs> Hello? Am I yeah, coming through? Exactly. It's hard not getting that feedback. It's hard, but yeah. But that's awesome that you got good at it. So. Yeah. So this leads us to this new book that mm-hmm. when you told me what the new book was about, I'm so excited to hear about this, but I want to go back and and... Let's kind of quickly touch on each of your books leading up to this. Sure. And uh, let's make sure that we get a plug in there for Pickled Sunflower and where people can find this yeah. and everything else. Which now at HeidiTucker.com will take you right there. HeidiTucker.com. Perfect. Simple. You're, you are your own brand. It's so cool. That's it. I love it. <laughs> All right. So let's let's go just recapping from your first book. 
Okay, first book, Finding Hope in the Journey. It's really about, it's very personal to me um, and to experiences and messages in my life. I thought I was writing it when God asked me to write it. I thought maybe I was writing it for my own posterity. I remember you telling me that you were then just going to put it in a drawer and say, I yeah. wrote it and I'm Three done. ring notebook, handed yep. it one to each of my kids, one to my parents and said, Heavenly Father, I'm out. I'm done. I, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And the, the promptings continued, and I knew that I wasn't done. And so that's kind of a book about positioning your heart to really see and to hear and to feel glimmers of hope Yeah. It, when you're in the struggle, when you're in the face plant mud puddle. This might sound funny because I haven't seen it since October or earlier of 2018, but I remember when you emailed me, you said, Hi, Sean, I'm Heidi Tucker. Let's talk about hope. Yeah. And I remember going, yeah, we're having her on. I don't care what she does. In <laughs> uh-huh. fact, she wants to talk about hope. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. You know what? Whenever I write or speak, you're going to hear hope. I love it. That's, That's the way it is. That's what we need. It's what yeah. we need. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. So that was your first book. That was my first book. And my second book, uh, Servi's Song, is about this beautiful woman from Africa, Zimbabwe. Yeah. A book you didn't seek out to write. No, she, f- she found me. She had a dream. I don't remember if I talked about this before. A lot of dreams going on. You're having dreams about writing. She knew she had to write her story. Yeah. Beautiful. And um, I was given a lesson. I was reading a Christmas poem in Relief Society, and she had been fasting and praying for months Mm. because she can't write her own story, right? And so she's fasting and praying, how do I write this? And she said that when I was up there, she didn't know me. She knew me as Heidi Tucker. That's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm reading this poem, and she said there was a light on my head. And it was an answer to her prayer. You need to ask her. And we're giving a nice recap of this. Please go back to Heidi's episode and listen and hear the full story from Servi. And it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so I ended up writing her story. Just an amazing story of grit and faith yeah. and falling down and getting back up again. So many tragedies hit this woman that you say to yourself halfway through the book, how can she go on? Like this is just... And one of the greatest book covers ever. Yeah. It won an award, actually. I, I'm sure The cover it did. won an award. I'm sure it did. Yeah. It's just a picture of Servi close up. It's a beautiful black and white shot. And yeah. It's stunning. Yeah. All right. That takes us through Servi's That's song. Servi's song. And then uh, Beautiful Margie, who the third book is her life story. And she had read both of my first two books. Mm. We have a common friend. She had... She had told her how much she loved those two books, and and the friend called me and said, this woman's had a hard life. Would you call her Mm. as a favor to me and just thank her for loving your books? I mean, it would mean the world to her. I love doing stuff like that, you know, connecting with readers. And so I did that, and uh, we got talking, and she said, well, you know, I have a story too. And I said, oh, sure, you know, why don't you tell me about yourself? I get that a lot. People know that I love true stories. And, and so, this is new since our last episode. You yeah. haven't even started on the, the Margie. Oh, book. no, no. So let's hear about it. No, I was hoping I was done with Servi's song. <laughs> it just keeps Are coming, Sean. Have you finally given up on hoping to be done? Uh, yes. Speaking yes. of hope. I know. I hope you're done. I hope I'm done. hoping to be done. Heavenly Father, I want to be done with hoping. Yes. <laughs> so she, we get talking, and um, within five minutes, I'm up scrambling for a piece of paper and a pencil. Wow. Because what I'm hearing, I've never heard anything like it before. And it it was it was so dark, but it was her childhood, you know, abuse mm. and trauma and 
just everything terrible about that. But at the same time, I heard this gratitude. Mm. And I heard courage and I heard faith. She kept coming back to that. And uh, we talked for an hour. And when, when we hung up the phone, we had agreed that I would come meet her the next time I was in Utah. I wanted to meet her in person. Where'd she live? In Sandy. Mm. Sandy, Utah. Awesome. And so uh, I hung up the phone and I just wept. I wept. And my heart was saying, you need to do this. You can find the hope and the light in this woman's story because this is what you do. And my head is saying, don't you dare go there. This is so big. This is so complicated, you know. And then the gremlins on my shoulders start talking to me, right? You're not smart enough. You're not educated enough. You can't do this. You've never written about this. And I went up and I met her three or four months later in her home. And three hours later, I came out knowing I was going to write her story. Really? Absolutely. Did you, during that three hours, were you sort of gathering yeah. information yep. from that gathering information, on? speaking to her husband, um, she showed me some, you know, some journaling that she'd done. Some, um, we just really got talking. And um, at one point, her husband looked at me and said, "For five years, we've been praying for you, oh. and here you are." Because they knew that she wanted, she knew she wanted her story written, and her husband was encouraging her to do that. But she didn't know how to do that. It's it's impressive, and we'll get into Margie's story here yeah. in, in a minute. But it's impressive because there are some, I mean, it's a highly personal oh, story. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it deals with some subjects that are somewhat taboo, mm-hmm. difficult to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uncomfortable. And I don't want to give away too much yet. We'll get into get into her story. How long did it take you to uh, to write Margie's story? Two years. Two years. Yeah. I had to really understand DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder, used to be called Multiple Personality Disorder. I needed to wrap my brain around that. Yeah. Right? Um, So complex. And I needed to understand her. I needed, she and I needed to develop a love and a trust with each other. Mm. Because certainly she's got trust issues, right? Of course. Of course. Yeah. Her entire childhood was trauma and just horrific things. And so... She needed to trust that I had her best interest at heart. Right. And um, so I needed to get those parts who are really abused children. They needed to trust me enough to come out and talk to me, tell me portions of her abuse. I needed to understand the whole picture. I didn't want this to be just a quick surface book. That wouldn't have done anybody any justice. And so I needed to write from my heart as well as from my brain. And it took a while to get there. But when I did, it just poured out of me. I was ready. So was the dissociative part of it, that, that had to add an extra layer of difficulty sure. to writing something like that. It's not something that's very well understood. Mm-hmm. And knowing that we were going to talk about it a little bit, I actually did a little bit of homework just trying to, because mm-hmm. I, I really knew nothing about it at all. There are actually mixed feelings sure. in the psychological community, or I don't know if that's what the community is called, but right. mental health community, yes. as to whether or not dissociative identity is a real thing. Mm-hmm. There are people who are strong champions of it. 
people who are strong advocates against it, saying it's just a coping mechanism, whatever, right. and all over the spectrum. So, so let's so let's go through kind of Margie's story and and give people a taste of if they pick up the book, uh, and we want to make sure to push that the book itself is called The Secret Keepers. Yes. And uh, let's let's hear a little bit about, I want to hear about Margie's journey, but I also want to hear about your journey, how you wrote this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Margie's journey starts um, at the age of four or five, and um, I won't go into details. And in fact, I don't go into details or triggers in the book. Because mm. we want this to be helpful to survivors, and survivors can't read things with yeah. triggers all over the place, right. right? I could have written a Stephen King novel, and I didn't want to do that, and neither did Margie. She didn't want that, and so... Was that <clears> hard? Like, did you have to edit a lot? Did you find that you'd write something and go, hey, that's a little too too much, and yeah. you have to dial it back? Yeah, between the two of us. Um, but but mostly, I just wrote, I wrote some things where you know what I'm talking about without me saying it. Very smart. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so that's what we did. We, we, we have to begin the story with the abuse. So really, um, because you need to appreciate where she's been right. to, to appreciate how far she's come. Mm. So we, we have to touch on that in the beginning. And um, so we do that. And then, uh, like most of these uh, DID survivors, um, that abuse is hidden, right? So Heavenly Father, just like he gives us skin to protect us against disease. He gives us these beautiful minds that have the ability to dissociate if needed. It's a tool. It's a tool. It's it's almost, from what I could gather, like a hiding place. It's a hiding place. Like I'm going to take myself there and let someone else come out and deal with this. Right. Does that sound exactly right? right? Yes, right. Wow. Because when you, and when they find DID, it's generally with children who have been abused, um, endlessly with no escape mm. under the age of eight. And that was Margie. So they create their own Yeah, they have to have a place. They have to to survive. In their own brains. Yeah. They create these rooms. Right, right. Wow. And so different different parts will take different pieces of the abuse. Mm. And what happens is they they emerge later in life, right? They just sort of stay back and um Margie would get glimpses of scenes and feelings and nightmares, and she'd think, why would I ever think that? Why would I ever see that in my mm. mind, right? It's very confusing. And until you're diagnosed correctly and can begin to get some therapy and understand that, yeah, um, it's, a real, it's, it's a real journey. So she was abused, was at the hand of family? At yes, the hand of, yeah. family and others. Which is the most common so she was, um, yeah, it was, it was sexual abuse, it was ritual abuse, and it was um, drug abuse. Without getting too deep into it, I, I don't know what ritual abuse is. Ritual abuse is um, groups of people that perform their own ritual religious oh, ceremonies really? with all kinds of uh, really inappropriate... Wow. Oh. Sacrifices and I never heard it called that, but yeah, what a, I mean, so this is this is not, and you, you never want to minimize abuse and say garden variety abuse, exactly. Or but there's abuse we but, hear about, and I've had several guests on the show. This is a different level, uh huh. And, and again, I don't want to compare somebody's pain no, and somebody else's. No, abuse is abuse, but, but this is like heavy stuff that there's not right. I know some of our guests have talked about how they will meet. 
if they've been through sexual abuse or physical abuse, they'll meet someone else who's been through it. You can kind of go, yeah, I had that too. I used to do that too. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of that not a lot. Margie. No, she's yeah. what we call multi-contextual abuse, which oh. is three levels. Wow. Yeah. So, so really, really tough. But she was, um, she, she's just got this gratitude where despite everything, she's always been able to see the beauty in life. And, mm. and I, I could feel that from the very beginning. Well, that's really what she does every day to get through. But eventually she, fa- she finds a therapist who's able to diagnose her correctly. And in the book, you sort of go through the therapy, a portion of it with her, just enough to sort of get an idea of what it is. Mm. And How old was she when, she when she was able to acknowledge, hey, this is what it is? Uh, I would guess around 30. It's, you know, when mm. her kids are... When she was able, to, when she was diagnosed, yeah, correctly diagnosed, she was older than that. It was later in life. Yeah, later in life. Mm. The average number of therapists these people go through is seven. By the time they can get a correct diagnosis, because it's it's not very common. Yeah, I think it's more common than we think, but yeah, certainly not diagnosed mm-hmm. as often. Right. Um, that's some of, again. I'm not an expert in any of this, but some of the reading I was doing was that quite often uh, it's identified as schizophrenia rather yes. than DID. Right. And that it's later, that sometimes they'll spend 10 years treating schizophrenia, which, mm-hmm. according to what I read, is very different in the treatment. Right. And then later on, it's, oh, well, we were we were treating someone with DID. Yeah. So did she go into who these personalities are? Did you... Did you talk to the personalities as you were going through this? Um, or how does that all work? Yeah. I mean, there's there's glimmers of it, you know, and it's mostly, it's not like Hollywood. Okay, yeah. so just wipe that out of your mind. You know, she doesn't, um, I've seen some of these movies, right? Yeah. She doesn't, you know, move her head in a funny way, and then all of a sudden she's a new person. And she's not coming out of the bedroom in a miniskirt and as a different person. That's not That's not what it is at all. Were, were the personalities defined? Because honestly, all I have is Hollywood, so yeah. I would love to break down what's real and what's not. Right. In Hollywood, in every movie I've seen about it, the personalities have an age, a backstory, and a name. Mm-hmm. Does that sound like Margie's experience? Pri- totally primarily, that's, that's close to it. Um, they have a job. They have jobs to do. Mm. And they have a certain sort of characteristics about themselves and a name that that Margie has given them based on that job that they did as children. And the problem with DID, the problem in living with it, the, the challenge in living with it is that those parts which are abused children don't always know that it's safe now. Mm. So a trigger... Oh. can pull that part out front. Margie's become very, very good at staying out front as the core, as her true self, and keeping those children behind her. I but would have never occasionally, thought about that, but yeah. it makes so much sense that if there's a trigger, oh, yeah. it's the, the child in the back says, oh, that's my job, right. here I go, right. I'm going to protect you. Right. My gosh. I yeah. Fear, you know, a stomachache, a song on the radio, I mean... A certain smell, the sight of something. If oh, she, you know, just triggers. just triggers it, just boom, brings brings somebody up. She's really good at navigating that. And if she were was here today, which I wish she was here with me today, mm-hmm. um, you would think she was just the most lovely woman. And yeah. 
Yeah, she's she's the she's the boss, and she's learned how to be the boss of the system. That is so incredible. I mean, we all have our own mental hangups. Every sure. one of us, you know, that's a that's a heavy cross to bear. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it's heavy good. because it's a battle every single mm-hmm. day. Yeah, for her. Was it hard to get to the root of the story, or was she really open about it? Um, she was more open halfway through in the second okay. half uh, than the first half. I think because of our relationship just grew, and we just learned to love each other and trust each other. And, mm. and so, so I, she was pretty open with me, and um, I didn't need to know all the, the details because oh, I so. wasn't going to write them. Yeah. You know, so... But I, I know enough. Yeah. I know more than what's in the book, let me put it that way. I'm sure. Oh. Yeah. So did you do more clinical research as well to better understand DID? Yes. And I had full access to her therapist. Really? Yes. So he was, she gave him permission to tell me anything and everything. So he was just an open book. And um, he didn't pour it out for me, you know. He was yeah. the he was the perfect teacher, and Made just you said, go and get it. "You go get it, and you you ask me questions, and I'll answer any questions you have." So I spent some time with him every week uh, on the phone, just trying to wrap my head around it, trying to understand Margie, various things. We would talk about it. Um, he would offer some insight, and often he would say, "I would ask a question." He would say, "Get on Amazon." I want you to go get this book. Mm. I want you to read it this week and call me next week and let's talk about it. Wow. And I would do that. So it was a tremendous amount of, of patience and research and commitment to this project. And I think it's my best work yet, oh, really. I am so excited to read it. Yeah. I, I've, to, I've told you, I, I cannot wait to read this book. I am going to burn right through it. Um, so, so. Are there like one or two maybe watershed experiences that would kind of illustrate what Margie's life was? Maybe that, like a story or something that happened to her or something that stands out to you that would help our readers to kind of understand what, what Margie's lived experience is? As a child? Well, as a, I think if there's maybe one as a child, but then also one as an adult dealing with this and living with this. Right. Um, as a child... She um, she never really left her father's side um, because he was grooming her that way. Mm. And um, so she went everywhere with him day and night. And she would um, go in the car in the evenings with both of her parents and not know where she was going. And then that's all she remembers, right? And then she wakes up the next morning knowing something happened, but I'm not sure what so this was at hand of both parents. At both parents. Um, yeah, we don't know exactly with the mom as much, and, and the book explains that, but yeah. certainly with the father and, um, and others, and others. With, when you bring in the ritual abuse, she was essentially oh, rented out. So, um, so it was, you know, every day was just horrible. She lived in fear every single day of her childhood. When, what, what era was she a child? What decade? What what era are we talking about? So she's she yeah. So she's sixty five, I think. Okay. Wow. This this was quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And, so and talk about feeling lost. I mean, you you can't get on Google to say you know is there support? Is there right, help? no? Can't grab your cell phone and call the police. Right. My 
gosh. Right. And with the ritual abuse, it, it takes a really, um, a really awful spin on that um, emotionally what they do where there are parts of her that absolutely do not believe in God because that's, that's all they talk about in the ritual abuse Yeah, is that, well. you know, that God is punishing you and he's not real and call out to him. He's not going to help you. That kind of, you know, really horrible stuff. And so she has had this ability within her core to just reach beyond that. Mm. And uh, on so many levels, she's risen above this uh, as a mother now of three children and lots of grandkids. She was able to find this incredible husband who is just a hero in the book. And she's able to rise above that, become a loving, tender, caring mother. I mean, the abuse in her line, who knows how far it went back, right? We just don't know. Right. What if dad abused her? Was he abused? We don't know those sure. those the answers to those questions. But I'll tell you what, it stopped with her. Oh, that's one of my favorite things. Yeah. Is the that and that's the gospel. Yeah. Is that we don't have to continue on with anything. I mean, that's the whole message. Uh and we should point out the best that I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, but this isn't a church book. No. At all. Um certainly no. I mean, it's a Deseret book carries it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's clean enough that they can carry it. Yeah. And we wanted to do that intentionally, but it's... I think it's so important because we, we you know, as you're talking about this, speaking of the movies, that's something that happens in the movies. Yeah. Ritual abuse and things like that. That's right. That's not real. Yeah. That, that doesn't really happen. Mm-hmm. And my gosh, I, I want to know more about Margie's husband because I, you know... Uh, my wife's in the house, so I have to be careful. Marriage is hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she always smacks me when I say that. <laughs> but we all know it. Marriage, sure. marriage in the best circumstances, marriage can be difficult. Yeah. Now put this on. Uh-huh. First of all, Margie sounds amazing. Yeah. And she is definitely uh, someone who overcomes things. Like mm-hmm. I mean, that's amazing. But talk a little bit about her husband. And yeah. did they go into detail about... This this is a major thing they had to confront in their marriage. Right, right. Um, they didn't. There were no words for this, right? Did I mean she, she didn't even know what was happening. She knew that something was not right in her mind because of the visions and the flashbacks and the things. So she was able to say to him, "Sometimes something's not right," and he would say, "That's okay." You know, they met in high school. They're high school sweethearts, oh. and they go on to get married and. Um, he was from a family that was, it was hard. He wasn't getting along with mom and dad much. And they kind of rescued each other right out of high school, Incredible. two teenagers. And so they've just sort of battled through this. I mean, through the, all of the, I don't know what's happening to me, you know, the, all of the, um, the difficulties in her thought processes and mm. not understanding. It was, it was a real hard thing. And so many therapists, so many therapists over and over and over again, trying to understand what is the matter with me? Why am I having these thoughts? Is there a name for the type of therapy that that people with DID can get the most help from? Um, I don't know. You know, there's a number yeah. of different therapies for it, but that makes sense. Yeah, but and I'm certainly not a therapist, but but we go through um, something that's really effective in her book, which is called the Safe Place, utilizing the, what's called the quintessential quintessential safe place. Quint- Quintessential? Quintessential safe place. 
essential safe place. Mm-hmm. And which is essentially in building, she has built a place in her mind, which is a safe, mm. beautiful place for her. It's a farm. And it's a place where she can envision and talk to her parts and tell them to go and do their jobs on the farm. Because they don't have to do their old jobs anymore, which is protect her. So she goes through a mental exercise every single day. And it took her years to build that farm, to to really build that place up. And it's quite effective for um, veterans who fought in wars. Mm. And it's not just DID, but for anyone with PTSD, it can be very helpful. I'm glad you told us about this because it makes it very visceral. Mm -hmm. That this is not, you know, I, I... I think one of the struggles with mental health is that when you don't struggle with something, you know, when you meet someone who struggles with depression, the natural tendency is to go, oh, I have a good idea. Just be happy. Yeah. You Make know? a list. <laughs> or someone with bipolar, yeah. hey, settle down or hey, get up. Yeah. You know, yeah, you, you sort of just, you know, it's easy to want to go and, and not understanding DID. Yeah. You kind of want to just go, oh, hey, they're not real. You're mm-hmm. welcome. Now mm-hmm. go on with your life. But this is something that every day picturing her, this is heartbreaking. Yeah. Question about you and during this process. You know, uh, a few weeks ago we had uh, Nick Galetti and Jen Roach on talking about uh, codependent discipleship. And, and part of that discussion is that we can take things on ourselves and, and it's hard to let go. I remember having a conversation with my dad when he was a bishop uh, for six years, I, you know, I asked him what it was like, cause you hear so many things. He said every night he had to kneel down and give it up to the Lord to get mm-hmm. it off his own shoulders. During the writing process, was it hard not to take these things on? Did you find yourself kind of struggling with, with her story or were you able to keep yourself segmented from it? I was blessed and able to keep segmented from it. And I, that was a, a slight concern in the beginning. And um, there was not a single day that I sat down and worked on that book that I didn't pray first. And I felt carried. And I felt um, not alone in my den as I wrote. I know I was not alone. And um, Margie told me later, after I finished the book, she told me that I, she said, I, every single morning I prayed that angels would surround you as you wrote. And I said, Margie, I felt them. <laughs> That's an answered prayer. And so I just feel like this was meant to be told yeah. for a number of reasons, for survivors who are out there. Um, it can be a it can be a book of hope and of light and of you know perseverance through something that's horrible and there is something at the other end and it it can be a help for those who know nothing about this type of of you know problem that's out there and um it can be helpful because it's educational it's enlightenment in the book and See, that that's why I want to read it is because I trust you yeah and our listeners can trust you. I think it'd be hard to find a book about abuse, ritual abuse, right. dissociative identity disorder. Yes, that's going to be appropriate and uplifting. Uh huh. You know, it's it, it's difficult, but uh, it is. It so is to be able to study these things in this context is just awesome. Yeah, yeah, and it it just won an award. I don't know if I told you that. Ah, uh, you didn't tell me that. <clears throat> yeah, it just won an award by What's the award. It's it's best inspirational, oh called an gosh. enduring light award. 
Best Inspirational. That is awesome. It's so cool because the panel of judges are from all different Christian religions. In fact, I don't think there's an LDS one in the bunch, probably. (laughs) And um, I I submitted it. Christian organizations don't really (laughs) throw the Latter-day Saint judges in there, but okay. And so the fact that they gave it, the fact that they could read this book about abuse, I mean, it's not just about abuse, but I mean, it's there, right? Yeah. And that they see it as a book of hope and a book of light and a book of inspiration. I mean, that is the greatest thing you could tell me, because that's exactly what we wanted. We've had, uh, and I, I don't think I asked you this last time, when do you know it's time to say, yep, it's done, the book is done, and how hard is that to do? Um, I know there's just this overwhelming, when I finish a chapter or I get the, the final sentence, I mean, it's chapter by chapter, right? So you write in a fairly linear fashion? I do. Oh, wow. I okay. do. But my other job is I'm a bookkeeper. So see, things have mm. to be <laughs> in an order, right? Ledgers. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> but yes, um, I mean, occasionally I'll skip a little bit and, and, and write a few things. But in, in general, I write in order. Awesome. But really, I mean, it's just an over an overwhelming feeling that, okay, I, I got this right. And I tear up. I feel just this warm feeling in my heart. And I'm just like, okay, that's it. That's got to be I the just, most rewarding I just thing. feel it. It's cool. It's that really cool. cool. Did you have an editor for this? Yes. What's that process like? It's, it's amazing. You do your very, very best work. And you submit it to a great copy editor, and it comes back even better. It it's it stays your words. It's mm. your whole. I mean, it's it's still me, but they just polish it a little bit. Say it this way, you know. Take this word out. Replace this word. It's just, and it makes it just even more beautiful. So it's I amazing. Love it. Best money you could ever spend as an author is on a copy editor. Was was there anything that was taken out or changed that you thought no no? That needs to stay in, or that needs to go back, or no, I liked it better before. Um, there's always a couple things. Okay. Yeah, that I, don't I know say about that process. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by it. Yeah, there's a couple. You know, maybe a sentence or something that they say. No, we would we would like it this way better. And I say, nope, <laughs> nope. This is what I meant. This is what I meant. Talk about the title, the secret keepers. Everybody's a secret keeper in this book. Mm. Right. Those those parts are secret keepers. They keep the abuse from Margie. For a good, from a good portion of her life, they saved her. She's survived because of those parts keeping secrets from her. At some point, those secrets begin to leak out, but they were secret keepers. Her parents were secret keepers. They led one life in public, and they led a very different life behind closed doors. Um, Margie herself was a secret keeper. Yeah. Until five years ago, or it wasn't even that long ago, two years ago, three years ago, that we first met and she said, I'm ready to tell some secrets. And what a blessing that she is. I think so many of us, you know, the stories we tell ourselves in our heads mm-hmm. is nobody needs to hear that. Think people will think you're terrible. Think people think you're weird. You can't yeah. do that. And then you put it out there and you bless the lives of so many people. Yeah. It's just awesome. Oh, we, we just cry. If she receives something, you know, an email or something from somebody, or if I do, um, we share that with each other, and we both just cry. the The emails that we that we receive back from people are that was just... going to be my next question. My next oh, question my was, gosh. "What has the response been?" 
amazing, amazing. Yeah. I, I braced myself for some criticism, mm. right? Just because there are those, like you said before, who don't believe in DID, that it's all just some kind of a, a mental hoax, an excuse that people use, um, fabricated. And unfortunately, there are also people who are like, hey, if we don't talk about certain things, they don't exist. Yeah. So let's not talk about it. Yeah. It's not proper to discuss this right. stuff. So, and, and, you know, I'm not a therapist and I'm not in a position to debate, but um, I say no, I, I say I'm a believer just because I've been with Margie for two years. But, um, but also, that's, uh, I'm, not, I'm not ready to debate anybody on that. I, I don't care to debate anybody. This is her story. Yeah. And so I wrote her story Ugh. to help others. That, has, that was her one intent. She said, um, if I could just help one person with this, it will all be worth it. Well, She's helped thousands. So by the time our audience is listening to this, I've read the book. So in my Latter-day Life this week, I'm going to talk about the book. <laughs> I am I am just really excited. You are such a talented writer, and this is such an incredible story. Um, if people want to buy the book, what's what's the best way for people, or what are the different ways for people to uh, The to different ways, book? if you want it autographed by me, come direct to me, which is HeidiTucker.com. Yeah. Um, they're always available direct from my website. You can also buy them on Amazon. You can buy them at Deseret Book. You need to check and make sure it's on the shelf. Um, it's uh, it's at uh, historyofthesaints.org. Historyofthesaints.org. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, Glenn Rawson, Dennis Lyman. Yeah. They love it. They Very love cool. it so much it's, it's, in their, it's on their website. Um, so those are the major places you can get it. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. So the big question, because it's been two and a half years, are you done not being an author? Are you fully embraced <laughs> now? I mean, Am I, I still a reluctant author? I don't want to get together in two years in your next book and still have you say, okay, and this is it. No. You're, you're Heidi Tucker author. Can we all... We all accept that now. I right? embrace that title now, Sean. Good. I'm it's, so glad. It's taken a while, but I embrace it. <laughs> you were still kind of on the fence. I last was on time the fence last here. time. Yeah, because you were working on series book last yeah. time, and uh, you were on the fence. So I know. I I'm know. Glad to see that. I'm no. I am Heidi Tucker author. I've got several awards for my books, and um, I see the good that it's doing. Really, when you boil it all down, for me, it's a calling and it's a mission. Yeah. And I'm going to keep writing. Uh, my grandson just asked me the other day, when you retire, are you going to stop writing books? I said to him, when Heavenly Father tells me that I can stop, that's when I'll stop. <laughs> but I still thing. feel like I need to do that. I need to just, that's my way of reaching out and making a difference in the world. And so as long as I see that that's happening, I'm going to keep doing that. And for all of your fans, and by the way, if you're going to start a fan club, <laughs> let my mom know. She'd be happy to head it up. She's she is, she's so great. She is such a huge fan. I know, of and she saw me in Costco once, and we just like ran into each other's arms. It was she, so great. My mom adores you, and uh, <laughs> um, but uh, for all of your raving fans out there, uh, while we're not going to get into what it is, rest assured, you know what your next project is. I do. I'm work. I'm halfway through it. Is that uh, so? Was that? In the works when you got done with The Secret Keepers already? No. This is only um, two months old. 
So I and I'm just and you're racing. Th- oh, yes, this is a fast ride. So I'm I'm going to call you the Tarzan author because <laughs> you swing from book to book. To I know, book, not knowing, you not know, Tarzan knowing. Tarzan kind of lets go of the one vine, hoping the other vine will be I there. And you just kind of go. From I know. Vine to vine. I'll come back and talk about this one. I can't wait. I will. It's awesome. Uh, if we could, and this might be an oversimplification, uh, sum up what you learned from writing this book. Yeah. I can give you three main points. That's great. Yeah. Number one, Margie taught me to trust my core. Mm. It's what she does every day. She reaches down. She she finds her divine identity, and that is where her focus is all day. If we, if I can focus on my true identity, that makes my life a lot easier mm. and it forges the path that I should be on. I love that. Yeah. So that's one. That's number one. Number two, she taught me um, how to anchor in hope. Mm. She doesn't anchor it in people because people betrayed her. She doesn't anchor in things. She anchored in Christ. Oh. And the book specifically goes there as you see her and how she anchors in Christ. It's so touching and beautiful. And that's where our anchors need to be placed, something firmly like Christ. And number three, most of all, she teaches me persistence. Mm. How many unanswered prayers did she have as a child begging that the abuse would stop? Right, Those are unanswered prayers. But she continues to, to talk to her Heavenly Father every single day, all day long. And um, so that's incredible persistence. And she now understands for the first time that those prayers, those unanswered prayers are really answered in a different way than she ever expected, in a way that she can make a difference in the world and tell her story and lift others. So love that. Yeah, she's, she's amazing. And I'm a better person for meeting her. Oh, I love it. And I love just the glow you have when you're talking about her and talking about mm-hmm. this book. And again, I could not be more excited to check it out. So it's awesome. Something I didn't prep you for, but we're ending the catching up episodes. Uh-huh. Do you have a favorite hymn? Yes. What's your favorite hymn? Come Thou Fount. Come Thou Fount. Of every blessing. What a beautiful hymn. What is it you love about I can't sing that without going into a full-on weep. it's beautiful yeah that last verse um, prone to wander Lord I feel it right prone to leave the God I love here's my heart take and seal it I mean is there anything more tender than that and um, this is an emotional hymn for me as well it was emotional before this but when my son um, came home early from a mission called Mm. to Russia comes home early he's really struggling, and so am I, for different reasons, right? And he says, Mom, I just, I want to sing Come Thou Fount. I learned it in Russian in the MTC. Could I sing it for church? So we get the okay from the bishop. He's fresh home, right, from the MTC. People are still looking at him like, is he supposed to be home, right? It's this awkward time for everybody. Mm. He stands up and sings that song in Russian. I'm at the piano playing for him. Love it. So tender. You know, there was like not a dry eye. And um, it has a lot of deep meaning. But I love that final verse about giving our heart to God. We are imperfect. But here I am. Here's my humble heart. Take it and seal it so that I can live with you again. 
What a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. The book is called The Secret Keepers. Uh, you can find it at HeidiTucker.com. It's definitely the best place to start. Get an autographed copy of it because, I mean, that's the best way to have it. She is an incredible author, speaker, and doing so much good in the world. Heidi Tucker, thank you for coming back and sharing your Absolutely. life with us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. And my special thanks to my dear friend, Heidi Tucker. I, like I said before, I love Heidi. Who doesn't love Heidi? She is just the best. And she was so gracious and kind to uh, leave me a signed copy of uh, her book. And like I said, I'm, I'm reading it now and absolutely fascinated by it. She is such a talented and gifted writer. Please go check out all of her books. And again, Heidi, thank you. You are the best. Uh, This week in my latter-day life, uh, I got to thinking about what a difference little things uh, make in somebody's life. And this happened as I was driving down the road. If you know Utah County, I was driving down Geneva Road. And Geneva is kind of an area where you can get quite up to speed, you know, 50, 55 miles an hour. And then there's a light and, you know, some traffic that pulls onto it. And I was driving along and... I I have to back up and say a little bit, I'm not a hot-headed driver, I'm not the kind of guy who yells and screams at people, but I do grumble, and I especially just, I have a very tough time when people don't follow just basic traffic laws. Like, you know what, just if you're over in the far left lane and someone's behind you, just get over, let them by. And I do tend to drive a little bit fast sometimes, and I do get a little bit agitated, but overall I'm able to kind of generally keep my cool. But I was driving along, and and I was going about 50 or 55 miles an hour. I had a green light, and there was a car that had stopped and was about to turn in front of me. And all of a sudden, he put on his gas, and I don't think I would have hit him but uh, definitely would have had to slam on my brakes. And he started to pull out right in front of me. And I slammed on my brakes. And then he stopped and realized that he was going to pull in front of me. And this all happened very quickly. But he looked over at me. And I immediately in my head just went, you idiot, what's wrong with you? What a moron. You know, and I didn't say any of these things. I didn't look at him mean, but in my head, I just thought all these horrible things. And then the guy made this face, like his eyes got really big. And somehow with his face, he conveyed, I can't believe I almost just did that. And then he waved to me. And that wave was an apology wave. He waved to me saying, I am so sorry. And he kind of shrugged his shoulders like, I don't know what I was thinking. It's amazing, like in a split second, how much he communicated that he knew he had really messed up. He probably hadn't seen me at all, but he corrected it by slamming on his brakes. And we didn't get into an accident. I kept going on my way and everything was fine in the world. And I thought about what a difference that made. And what a difference little things make. You know, just smiling at somebody or asking how they're doing, or making eye contact, just taking the time, but even more so when we mess up, apologizing. Sometimes even if we don't know that we've messed up. I was at the grocery store earlier this week, and there was a guy, I couldn't tell if he was standing in line at the grocery store, if he was waiting or not, 
And so I kind of slipped right in front of him. I'm not cutting him off. I didn't think he was in line. Then I felt bad, and I turned back to him and said, were you in line? Did I just cut you off? And he said, oh, no, no, no. I'm, I was kind of in line, but he goes, I was trying to decide if I needed to pick something else up, but I didn't, so I'm, I'm in line now. You're fine. Well, I had a big cart full of groceries. He had like three things, and I said, no, you got to go in front of me. Come on. And he said, no, no, no. I was still deciding, and I said, look, I've got a big cart please. And so he went in front of me. It was a nice exchange. But what if he had been in line? And maybe he was, and he was just trying to be nice. But what if he had been in line and I just cut him off and didn't say another word, just kept my back to him? That's the kind of thing that can put people off on the wrong path. Little things that we do, I'm convinced, make all the difference. And the fact that that guy who started to pull out in front of me, that was a scary moment. Just that little wave, a shrug, and a smile changed my entire world. Suddenly I was in a great mood and uh, everything was good in the world. I think that we can make the world a better place by doing these little things, by being humble and by being grateful and by letting people know how we feel. It, It definitely letting them know how we feel when it's for the good. I'm just grateful for those chances. I'm so sorry if I've offended anybody out there. It's not my intent but I am definitely trying harder to be kinder, to be more gentle, to be more loving, and to do the little things that make a big, big difference. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We really appreciate it. Uh, If you know someone we should have on the show, gosh, we love getting suggestions uh, for guests. And as I mentioned at the, the top of the show, If you think you might be a candidate or you may know somebody uh, who's a candidate to be uh, kind of a show producer to help us uh, get guests and coordinate things for the show, uh, we would appreciate that. Or if social media is your thing, we are looking, again, for a social media manager. I want to be clear, these are not jobs. They're not paid. We do all this in our free time, and all of this is just to help build up the kingdom and to help awesome people tell their stories. But again, you can reach out to me at Sean at LatterdayLives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at LatterdayLives.com. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. You're welcome to reach out to me there. We would love to hear from you. I think that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening.